And we're recording. Hey, man. How's it going? It's going good, man. It's going good. It's uh, given another productive day. Productive day in the neighborhood, as they say. <laughs> well, speaking of that, we just got the the new movie, the uh, um, Mr. Rogers. Um, I don't know if it's a documentary. I haven't watched it yet, but I just got Is it. Is it on, with Tom Hanks? On the, yeah, I got it on Amazon Prime. I also got Frozen 2, which we got to watch on Valentine's Day. So that was pretty fun. But, <laughs> there you go, man. How is it? Frozen 2? Oh, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I, I still need um, to watch it. Jenny went and saw it in theaters. I did not. I was still, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm still a little burnt out from the original Frozen. So, but I need ooh. to just get over it and watch watch Frozen 2. Because we were one of the households that, you know, watched it nonstop for probably, I mean, a few months at least. So it was Jenny's, Jenny's household. You are burnt out watching <laughs> burnt a out. cold movie. Anyway, okay, anyway. We're back. This is going to be a light episode. This is going to be a fun. This is, this is techie. This is not not that deep. This is going to be just a lot of little catch up. Like there's a lot yeah. that's been happening this last couple of months, and I want to get your thoughts on some stuff. All righty, let's get down to it. Same thing. Like I mean, uh, this is going to be kind of a grab bag of random you know technologies and tools and fun stuff that we've been been doing and learning. Um, so yeah, let's jump in, man. Okay, I am talking to you right now on Zencaster, which is the, the app we use to record our podcasts. It's super easy. I'm using Firefox and I, this is the first episode that we haven't had to spend 30 minutes before it started saying, can you hear me now? Can, can you hear me now? Can, can, mm-hmm. can you hear me now? Um, how, how does this sound? Check one, two. We haven't done that. It just worked. I say yeah. that and it's going to be yeah. popping right now. It's going to be, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> if it is just edit that out. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, no, it's it's been really smooth. Firefox is, and the icons looking cool too. It has that cool purple it one. Okay, so yeah, I've I've been you know if anybody who's been listening to the show, I've been a huge proponent of Firefox for a while. It is the browser that I use on my phone. It is the browser I use on my Mac, and I honestly don't think that I could switch to anything else now. Sometimes like I have to open up Chrome just because I I need to do a specific thing. Or I need like uh, I don't even really need any developer tools in it. It's mostly just so that I can be logged into like two different accounts on the same website at one time. <laughs> so yeah. I'll just open Chrome and do it in there. And I, I, I hate doing it because every time I want to close it, I have to do that hold control uh, commands Q thing to close. Oh, yeah. It mess, makes me, makes me angry. That's not what Mac OS is. That's not no. a Mac OS paradigm. I hit command Q on any other app. It closes, but it closes. on Chrome, it says, uh, we're not going to close yet. Cause you might be, it might be an accident. Like, Keep holding it. Really- do you yeah. really want to close? We're Google. You don't want to close it. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah. afraid I'm going to hold the button down and then close the next app that's open. Exactly. And I, I hate it so much. Like, why is that a thing? No other ma- app on yeah. macOS does that. And Windows, it doesn't say double click X to close. Yeah, that's true. Like, what the it could be like this? Vim, though. You could have to type like colon Q exclamation yeah. mark. Like, <laughs> in that literally, if you all don't use Vim, like that is the actual that command you have to type to close Vim. Um, colon Q exclamation mark. If you want to save a file, it's real easy. Colon W exclamation mark. No, colon WQ exclamation mark. Yes, if you, you want to save before closing. Oh, I guess. Crazy. Okay. Anyway, um, light episode. I... Uh, was trying to get out of my garage 
and okay. uh, opened the garage door and it worked great. I closed my garage door, it works. Open it again and it sticks. It's like this isn't good. So, you know, I I jiggle the handle. I <laughs> do some stuff and, and call the the uh overhead door guys out and they look at some stuff and fix some things and it works for a couple more months and then you know, I guess it was like last week or something or a week before um stopped working again. So I called the guys out. I did my own research and Megan was sitting next to me and I'm watching YouTube videos because that's how I do research. It's YouTube videos. Yes. And I'm watching them about the garage door and I, you know, guys are saying, you know, when it sticks, one of the, the things that could be wrong are the springs. So on your door, you'll have this giant door and then there's some springs above it. And then you have the, the motor and a track and the, the motor will pull the door up. And then the spring is what helps um, give it a little bit of lift and prevent the motor from trying to pull the entire door up. It's kind of offset by this spring, uh, similar to how, um, like, uh, like an iMac, how it, it hold it goes on the stand, it goes up and down, or if you have like a microphone arm, how you're able to, to move it around a little bit. Um, but it holds in place when you're not touching it. That's kind of how the garage door spring works. And that allows you to like pull the garage door halfway up anyway. Um, had the guy come out and he didn't think it was the springs. He thought it was the motor. So, uh, did, did some more research. It's probably the motor. So had the motor <laughs> replaced. Um, this new one's cool, man. Uh, hooks up to the phone has, um, I think it's wife. Yeah, it's Wi-Fi. but it hooks up and I'm able to open and close the door with my phone. I think I can even hook it up to home kit. Um, really? And, Interesting. And I get push, okay. I get push notifications when it opens and closes. And I have a camera in the garage too. So I can be anywhere in the country. And if my door is open, I can close it. And I can also verify it's closed with the camera. Uh, has like motion sensing lights. and has, you know, I, it's come a long way since my last garage door opener, which was like a little hamster. We had to feed him and he would run <laughs> on his little wheel and it would open up the door. Um, it's much better. Anyway, there you go. New- I have um, some... Uh- I have something that I need repaired as well. And that is my dryer's heating element is busted. So you have a, a metal box is basically. I have a metal box that spins uh-huh. clothes and does mm-hmm. nothing else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet you if we hooked a belt up to that, we can open my garage door with it. Uh, we probably could. But anyway, no, that's a, that's a bummer, man. Like adulting is expensive and, and it's expensive. It really is. And that's the thing. It's like, I don't own a house yet, but I, I hear that owning a house is expensive as well. And I gotta get like stuff breaks all the time, and I gotta get like a new oven and stuff. And what? Oh man! Uh, when, when I was a kid, I'd save my money all summer, go get the cool thing. Now, as an figures. adult, save my money, go paint the house, <laughs> go get a new fence. It's like no, that's not not fun at all. That's not fun, oh, man. man. But it fun. is yeah, kind of funny. Now when I'm around other people and they also ha- are getting a new fence or, uh, you know, you, you, it does open up your ability to have conversations about a lot of things now because you, you know, as, as you adult more, you get exposed to a lot more than when you're a kid. And the only thing that matters is the X-Men show that aired on Friday. Like mm-hmm. you have real conversations now. Anyway, That's right. adulting. All right, man. Okay. Some, some serious stuff. Um, this coronavirus, I, yes, I've been looking it up right now. This is going to affect, it's affecting a lot of stuff. And from what I can tell, it's like 
the flu or a cold. It's a, mm-hmm. um, it's a respiratory disease and it's not like Ebola. It's not like you're going to immediately die if you have it, but we don't have any type of cure for it or anything yet. So it's, it, and it's very contagious. Uh, it's a bummer. Like it, a lot of people are, are, are dying or getting sick. And it's just, it's really bad, mm-hmm. but we will get through this. Like we got through yes, Ebola. Sir. Uh, Ebola is so much worse. We we got through that. We will get through this. Um, and if anybody you know, listening, if you're affected or your family, like our prayers are with you like that. That's terrible stuff. Yeah. But definitely praying for y'all. Cause that's not, not fun. You know, not at all. No, there are some cruise ships right now. There's like one near Tokyo. I think that, uh, some people are infected and are on the boat. And so they've quarantined in the ship and you, no one that's on the ship can get off. And I've just started thinking about this, like who pays for all this stuff? And like, if you're quarantined on a ship and you can't leave your room for two weeks and other people are getting sick on the ship, it feels like a zombie horror movie. And like, I'm stuck in a room and I can't get off and other people are getting infected and I got to like shield myself, but people are coming and bringing me food every day. But are they sick? Like there's all these questions that I have. And then like, who's paying for this? I'm not able to work. I'm not able to like, anyway, that I, Oh man, that like ruins your vacation. That's terrible. Yeah. That's really, really terrible. Cause those rooms, you know, I mean, cruise ships are nice and all, but those rooms generally are not that big. No, no. It's like a hotel room or smaller than a hotel room. Yeah, smaller than a hotel room. That's got to feel like a prison. But what if you worked on it? Like if I'm an if I'm an employee on this ship, I can't leave it either, and I have to go room to room to deliver food and stuff and help the 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 uh, the guests, and they all could be sick. Like it's yeah. like this huge like blame game, like paranoid, and everybody's like a criminal or like evil. Like I mean, I don't don't envy them at all. That's that's rough. Most certainly. Most early. What was that? Okay. I'm sorry. I do not mean for this to come off as insensitive, like as insensitive as it might sound, but wasn't there, there was a game for iOS. Yes. Yeah. Plague Inc. Yes. Plague love that Inc. game. Yeah, love that Does game. it have so the coronavirus on it? Are no, they, it, or it became, it went to like number one in the Chinese app store, like right at, right when this broke. Um, so Plague Inc. is a game where you simulate a global outbreak and so you have a map of the earth and you you pick a country and you you name your virus or your bacteria and you say you know i'm going to call this the shane disease and i'm going to start in uh, united states and then you you find these stats out about every country so like the united states they wash their hands more and then um, and other countries might not wash their hands more and so you get to pick your disease and then you get to pick the ways this the symptoms and then the ways that it can spread and then how much it can spread. And so this thing is like, it's a puzzle and you end up figuring, figuring out how to you know, spread across the world, but man, it's so addicting. But yeah, every time I'm thinking about, or I hear about this disease, this game keeps coming back to my head. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Oh, that disease did it right. Or he's, oh, he's, Oh, it's so terrible. Yeah. Though I need it, to keep that game. Cause I, that, I remember you showing me that one time and I was like, man, this is pretty cool. When Planet of the Apes came out, they had like a tie-in with it, and one of the things is that like apes could spread around the world, kind of like the viruses could stuff. It, it was cool, and there's That's like vampires, cool. and it it's a fun game. 
Anyway, Plague Inc. Um, anyway, um, other bad stuff. So Google released a, a, stream, a game streaming service called Stadia. Yes. And this is the ads were super weird. Five to 15 bucks a month, something like that. And um, you can stream video games to your computer or your phone or your TV and, and play them. But you, the actual game is being played on one of Google's data centers or one of their partner's data centers. And maybe it might be, you know, within 50 miles of where you live, it might be really close. So the latency can be lower. And, and Google has tons of knowledge on you know, servers and how to network and how to get this stuff and do the logistics. They do a good job, but their, their game library was tiny when it launched. And there are other things that it had too, like you know, people were complaining about latency and stuff. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm aware of that. And I've seen that happen in a bunch of other game streaming things. So I'm, I don't care about that at all. What I, what I really worry about is the game library and how do you get developers on board? Because one thing that Stadia can do because they're, they're backed by Google is you could watch YouTube and you could be watching a game that's been recorded of, you know, some pro player. And because it's tied in with the actual game and Google owns the full stack from YouTube down to the game. What if you could pause the, the, the video in YouTube and say, play from this spot. And then you immediately start the game and you have all the health and items and you're in the same location, the same enemies, and you, you continue the game right where that pro player played, or, you know, then you can really experience these things that you watch. Like yeah. that's just amazing. So anyway, a lot of cool stuff you could do with Stadia. So Stadia is awesome. It, uh, um, didn't have a lot of, of users and, uh, was, was kind of struggling. And then Nvidia, I think it was like last week or the week before NVIDIA has been doing an NVIDIA. Uh, they make all the graphics cards. They are the king of games. Um, well, at least the hardware they've been uh, testing their own streaming service called GeForce now for several years. Mm -hmm. So this thing has been in beta for a long time. They figure stuff out and this is kind of, it's more like a computer, but so you would log into GeForce and GeForce now has two plans, a free plan. And then one that's $5 a month. And, you will download the app on your computer or TV or phone or something. And then you'll, you'll pick, you'll pick like a, let's say that I picked um, quake two because I own quake two on steam. Whenever I, I say GeForce now open up quake two, it opens up steam and I sign in with steam and then it, plays the game. So I have to own the games in order to be able to play them. And it, it's just opening up steam, downloading the game and letting me play or, or downloading the, uh, if you want to play like Starcraft, you download mm -hmm. battle.net and then let you play. So that was cool. And I, I did a little try the three month trial of that. Um, got that tried playing Starcraft two. tried playing, uh, just a couple of games and it was, it was really, it was really nice. Yeah. That the game library didn't have everything I wanted. I've realized that I'm old and I want like 20 year old games that don't run really well on windows, the modern versions of windows. And they also don't run on these new streaming services services. So I have to, to grow with the times, but, um, I, I tried several games and, and they, they seem to work pretty good. Um, How was the latency? It, it wasn't bad. Like I did a border, uh, was a borderlands two. And it, it was a little off, but you could get used to it. Um, 
Fortnite is on there. You, I wouldn't play competitively, but you could probably be pretty good. Uh, when you and I were, were playing with an iPad Mini, I think that was a smoother experience than this was. Okay. This looks prettier because everything's on Max. But um, was it yesterday or the day before? There was a uh, an article that says that Blizzard, Activision, and I think, yeah, I think it's Blizzard, Activision, and another company are like doing exclusives with Stadia and pulling out of GeForce now. So immediately you lose like Red Dead Redemption, Call of Duty. Starcraft, uh, just a bunch of these games are not going to be on it. And it, it, from what I was reading, it, it sounded like NVIDIA doesn't have any plan to like patch up this deal or, or get it on there anytime soon. So like, wow, the first time that this is launched, everybody online saying this is, it's destroyed Stadia. And then like, two or three days later, it's like, oh, you know, GeForce Now or Stadia is going to, you know, destroy GeForce Now. It's like, man, it's crazy what's happening right now with um, with this, this streaming stuff. It kind of feels like the video streaming stuff, like Netflix was the dominant one. And now Disney's pulled Disney stuff off there. And you know, all these yeah. companies are pulling their stuff off Netflix. And this is the same thing's going to happen with games. So yeah, Friends is off of Netflix. Um, I, I believe that Seinfeld is still on. But there was another like really big show that was just removed from Netflix. And it's like... Oh, I think it was the office or maybe they were talking about removing the office, but like when those are gone, that, that those are huge shows that people watch on repeat. Yeah. You know, for them to not be there is a very big deal. And I've started this KonMari thing where I'm pulling a lot of my data back to my local devices. Like I should not be relying on some of these places to have the only copy of my thing. So, you know, if I can get a Mac or a phone with enough storage and I could purge enough of my old stuff so that I just have the stuff I care about and that I, that I like locally, then, you know, if Stadia goes down, you know, I still have the game that I, my 20 year old game I can play on my local machine, but it defeats the whole purpose of being able to use Google's giant, amazing processing power. Um, I have to just be able to handle everything locally. So I don't yeah. know, man. Anyway, okay, that's GeForce Now and Stadia. I've uh, got, got some other cool stuff I want to talk about. Cool. Uh, what are you learning these days? Because, um, well, I actually can tell you a little bit of, of what I'm learning, um, if you don't mind. Um, I've, I've been jumping back into the world of Ruby lately. Um, yeah, which is, it. Yeah, because uh, so as most of you all know, I'm an iOS developer. Shane's also an iOS developer. We spend a lot of time with iOS. <laughs> Um, and lately I've been working on some, some web projects and I wanted something that felt like that didn't feel very out outside of the Apple ecosystem, if you will, but web development in Swift, which I know is some a topic that you're going to come back to, um, I feel is, is definitely getting better. But I don't know that it's ready to, for the point where I would want to use it in production with a client. And so I started, you know, started looking around like, what's what's the thing? Do I want to use Node? But that means I'm going to have to write JavaScript. Do I want to write JavaScript? Do I, do I want to learn a new language? You go Python or should I go like Microsoft Stack and try something with, with, with .NET and C Sharp? And there was always the the option of using something like Rails. But the interesting thing about, you know, Ruby and Ruby on Rails, for those of you who are programmers, is it's... It's an older technology. It's about, I mean, Rails is 
Rails was created back in 2003. Oh my uh, gosh. What? Yeah. That's so old. I was 10. So Rails is 16 years old. <laughs> you know? Um, and I mean, of course, like it has an active community around it. It's like we're on Rails version 6. 6 just came out. So it's not like it's an old abandoned technology. It's just one that is not, you know, is not the new and sexy. You know, it, it's it's not super, super shiny. Um, but man, I, I started using it and it is a very good experience. Um, we, we talked about last episode, talking about Apple simplicity. And that is one of the things I have to say I appreciate about Ruby as a language and appreciate about Rails because you can kind of see similarities in how you develop iOS apps and how you develop uh, Rails applications. And that is that iOS is very, very opinionated about how you develop iOS apps. There really is only so many ways that you can do it, I would say. You might be able to try and architect it in slightly different ways, but at the end of the day, you're you're using a lot of the same things. And Rails is similar because you really only have the Rails way of doing things, like the, the right way of doing it in a Rails application. And... Other, if, if you go if you go too off the beaten path, well, you've 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 kind of gone off the rails, Shane. Oh, I see what you did there. I, I, see. <laughs> I see. I see that. So, um, I just I just wanted to bring it up because it's just something where it's like I I could see Ruby, you know, in in a lot of ways, it is considered an older technology. It's you know, it's it's not as sexy as something, but I could see a resurgence happen. I could, I could see a resurgence happen in the Ruby community and like see it become revitalized and, you know, up there with Python and JavaScript again, uh, just, just because like there's still such an active and passionate community. And also because it's just a delight to program with. Uh, I, every time I, I spend time in Ruby, I never walk away being like, man, that was, that was a horrible experience. Um, and it's, it's really nice to have that breath of fresh air. Um, when programming, because there can be some times where you will, you know, I will write in JavaScript and it just, I, I won't say that I'm angry, but I am, you know, <laughs> I'm not angry, but I kind of am <laughs> when I deal with some stuff in JavaScript. I think what you're referring to is we call that promises. Yes. And that is a promises. feature of JavaScript where you can say, do something, but I don't know when. And when you're done, you promise you're going to come back so I can continue doing my thing. So we call that asynchronous. That is the one of the hardest things that to comprehend and in, in, I believe in, in programming is this, we call this multi-threading. Like you get these computers now that have five cores, six cores, 20 cores. But mm -hmm. if you write a regular program, you know, a single threaded program, you're just using one of them. It doesn't matter what the others do. But whenever you try to program uh, with mul with multiple threads, then you can now say, you know, thread four, just go do this thing. And when you come back, let me know. And when you program, you have to wrap your mind around that. And JavaScript tries to do that. It's not true multi-threading, but it's kind yeah, it doesn't of like do it that. well. That gets complicated. And I, I I see what you're talking about where doesn't bring you joy when you're programming. And whenever I've run into these very 
either undocumented or unexplored areas where I'm trying to do something and I, I don't, I can't find anybody else that, that can help me or, or can give me any guidance. And I just going on this path alone, it sometimes it hurts. And mm -hmm. with, with rails and swift, when, when I use them, I, I don't have to go off the, the path that much because the, the current path I'm on has very big walls and they don't let me get off the path very much. And, and JavaScript doesn't have any walls and I could just drive off the side anytime I want. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about what you've been learning about with, with, because I mean, I, I'm using Ruby, I'm using rails, I'm using it as a, you know, web development tool. Um, you and I were talking off the show not that long ago about things that you were learning about Swift and web development. Uh, can, you, can you tell me more about that? Because I know it had something to do with Vapor. Yeah. So whenever you decide as a programmer which languages you really want to focus on or, or you know which stack you want to go on, go down or, or use, one thing that you probably should consider at some point is your marketability. Um, you know, whenever you invest and you go deep. So if I go super deep into Fortran, uh, that is an older language. There are definitely jobs out there. There are definitely projects out there. But whenever I'm trying to work on some, you know, so TJ's company, for example, they don't do any Fortran. My skills would not be very useful. Or they would not be uh, taken. My, my full potential would not be met if I was, you know, coding in, in Rails, but I'm a Fortran expert. So whenever you decide on your stack, you need to also consider where, where can you go? Where can you use this? And a very safe bet, very safe bet is C sharp with Microsoft, or if you went Java, or if you go rails, I, I, th I think rails is pretty safe. Yeah. It's a safe, safe uh, option nowadays. A risky one would be a, a slightly uh, different framework in JavaScript called whatever Shane JS that I just made up 30 minutes ago. And only two people in the world, you know, know how to use it. Um, you know, if you go super deep into some, even some of these JavaScript frameworks, your marketability might be, might be less. And I'm seeing this right now with things like react native and flutter and some of these technologies that let you do JavaScript on iOS. So right now, Apple supports two major languages, objective C and Swift. Swift is the new fun one. You can write an iOS app and use rails or or JavaScript or, you know, anything you want. Cause at the end of the day, it's all ones and zeros. If whatever I'm typing on my screen, if I can figure out a way to convert it down to the code that can run on the phone, then, you know, it doesn't matter what I typed on my screen. It just matters how it gets converted down there. If I use Apple's program and you know, type, type the way that they want me to type the path, the, there's very little resistance. I can get on the phone very quickly. If I try to use some of these others, um, it, it's more difficult. So part of my journey through programming is I've decided and, and kind of focused on Swift and, and Apple in general, um, partially because when I first started the Microsoft products cost money. Um, it was, you know, 
several hundred or a thousand dollars to get a visual uh, visual studio license and when i first started i didn't have that and i would look at things like rails that were free or i would look at javascript or i would look at some of these that uh, these linux based ones that were free and and i spent you know a good decade going down that path and then the apple ecosystem when that took off with ios moving from the linux um ecosystem and languages and software over to Apple was, was, was pretty easy. Um, there's still a learning curve, but it was easy. And I have kind of lost touch with the Microsoft side. So I, I, part, you know, part of my journey was Microsoft. I originally tried to Microsoft couldn't afford it. Went the Linux, went the free route, went JavaScript. And then I'm now on iOS and I've, I've got deep enough in iOS that I, I don't have to go and look things up very often. Like occasionally I have to look them up, but most of the time I've seen this stuff before. We're doing a lot of the same stuff in our apps. You know, when you, when you go off and you try something brand new or, or undocumented or you know, something crazy, sure. You'll look some stuff up, but most of the stuff we've seen before. So I'm getting really fast at this. I can just like knock things out. Things that, you know, I look back at myself five years ago, I, I'm doing things like 10 times faster, literally like I'm building a a piece 10 times faster. Um, I've already thought through how I'm going to do it all. It just makes sense. Mm -hmm. I want to build some web stuff. And every time that I keep going back and doing web stuff, I go back to JavaScript. I go back to Node.js, and it does it, but there's no walls. And every time I go back, I look at, you know, all these new things have changed or come out. I, I kind of get kind of get lost. I try to go down one of them, but as I mentioned earlier, it's like, am I going to specialize in this version of of uh, Express JS, or am I going to specialize in this other uh, JavaScript library that you know fewer few people use? That, again, that'll that'll narrow my marketability. So, <laughs> I, I I'm trying to come to terms with all of these these options. And, mm-hmm. at, you know, if I keep going back to it, the, the Swift language brings me joy. So I, I've, I've kind of had a, like a little soft spot for all this, the server-side Swift technologies. There's several. Uh, IBM has one. There's like a, a public one. There's a, another private, uh, privately funded one. But the, the one that I've been playing with, playing with lately is called Vapor. Um, it's like Rails. It's like Express and Node. It's like... Um, some of these other frameworks for web design, but it's, it's in Swift. And in the last year, there's been a lot of stabilization in Swift. I finally feel like with Swift 5.1 and and newer that not a lot's going to change. There's going to be things added, but most of the, the the core syntax that you're going to use and the the phrases, they're not going to change too much that I can start, you know, building some stuff in, in Swift. The only downside is there's not a lot out there written in Swift. Whenever TJ tries to build something with, with rails, if he wants to connect to, um, Google drive, someone else has done that and they have a a module he can download and, and now he can connect to, to Google drive in very few lines of code. If I try to do that in Swift, I'm the first person who's done that. So I have Mm -hmm. to go spend two months building all this stuff and then maintain it for the rest of my life because 
<laughs> Nobody else is going to maintain it. It's but there's going to be plenty of people who are going to be using it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody else who wants to, do, wants to do Google Drive will use this one because there's only one option in Swift now. And Shane is now the guy that has to maintain that. So do I want to maintain all of these things? And maybe, maybe I do. Um, or do my, what I've personally done is narrow down what I, I'm doing on Swift into things that don't require a lot of these other modules. And it's, it's the self-reflection and this, you know, this true focus because you can start programming and you end up doing things and, and building things that do not serve the user like your original mission should have. And I'm now I'm maintaining a Google drive module when I should be focusing on, you know, this, this text editor or something. So the, the most recent project I've been working on doesn't require many, if any third party libraries and modules. So, um, I, I am having joy in that, but I, I, I definitely narrowed down my marketability. You know, if I really get into this vapor thing, then I'm, I'm specialized in one very small niche version of the server side, um, technology, but I like it. So I'm going to keep trying. Mm -hmm. yeah. There you go. I need to start experimenting with it as well. Because I think the last time that I experimented with it was, um, like two, three sixty I devs ago. I think then when I was there, I, I created a little vapor project and started, started messing around. Um, so yeah, man, I'm gonna have to give that a shot because I would love to see Swift take off more in the, the the web side of things for sure. Because I mean, again, like one of the problems that we have with Ruby is it is what we call a dynamic, dynamically typed language, versus something called a statically typed language. And uh, all uh, getting down to the nitty gritty of things, statically typed languages are just more stable than uh dynamically typed languages because you can do a lot of the, the the bug checking if you will when you're building the app as opposed to when the app is running <laughs> um i would say that's a fairly simple way of explaining it if, yeah I, an analogy i like to use is whenever you're go on a website and it says type in your phone number and you start typing in letters and it doesn't let you but if you type in numbers it does and it'll like put dashes in between the numbers or it'll, mm -hmm. it'll format it for you it won't it won't let you mess up that's what Swift is. If I have a field and I call it phone number, I can only type in numbers. If I have a field called name, I can type in names, but you probably can't put colors in there. Right. That's, that's Swift. With JavaScript and Ruby and a lot of these others, I could put, you know, I could physically mail them a teddy bear and stick it in that field. I don't know how it worked, but it can somehow get in there. You can so do it. it it requires TJ to go through and every time someone puts in a phone number, he has to check. Is it a teddy bear? Is it a plant? Is it a color? Is it a phone number? And so anyway, that's a simple way um, or a simple distinction between static and typed. Right. right. I'm sorry. So, dynamic. dynamic. Oh, no. So the, just the only reason I, I thank you for explaining that just so, so that the listeners know, like, that's that's one of the reasons why I love Swift and would love Swift to be able to come to web because it'll end up making your applications more stable. But again, that's the thing. Like Rails, Rails has been around for 16, 17 years now. If you want to do this very specific thing, chances are there have been many people who have been there before you and have either written a package or, you know, have instructions on how to do it. Whereas, yeah, again, with Swift, it's a wild west. We don't really, we don't, we, we're going to be writing a lot from scratch. Yes, absolutely. And your yeah. marketability is lower. There's, there's less jobs out there 
for yeah. Swift web developers. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so if you are looking for a job, there are a lot of websites out there that will will help you learn algorithms because if you want to work at Google, part of your interview process to be an, uh, an engineer at Google is you need to um, be able to to regurgitate all of these algorithms and and complex uh, computer science thoughts and a very popular one is sorting algorithms there's a lot mm -hmm. of ways to sort things and if you're a computer science major you know this merge sort and bubble sort just there's a bunch of them and each one is built differently some of them sort from the middle and go to the out uh, the outsides others start at the beginning and go to the end um Others require them to be already be sorted a certain way. There's a, there's a lot of choices. Um, in Swift, I just type, I have a list of things and I say list.sort. And I just trust that whoever wrote, you know, whoever is writing the language and wrote that sort algorithm, that that, that is the best one. And I've started researching this. I started thinking, um, you know, Google and these places, they want you to... to to be able to regurgitate these algorithms, these sorting things. But in most of the time, I don't need to ever do that. And I absolutely can do it. And, you know, I've learned it years and years ago, but I would have to be, you know, I'd have to refresh it and, you know, and review it. But it's not something I do day to day. I just do list.sort. So I started wondering, what is Swift doing for sort? And from what I was able to research, I believe they're using a thing called intro sort. And I, okay. I might be wrong. I'm going to put this in the show notes. Intro sort, from what I understand, it's like three different sorts in one. It starts off, it looks at your your list. It tries to sort it in a very efficient way. And if it becomes too inefficient, it immediately falls back to a, another way. And if that one becomes too inefficient, it falls back to another one. So worst case scenario, you have to, you know, it's, it's very inefficient. And best best case scenario, it's really fast. And as a programmer, I just type sort. I don't even care. But if I were at Google and I was in charge of creating the sorting algorithm, I would not have built this this sort one because this is way above. The, they've spent way, not way too much. They've spent a lot longer on this sorting algorithm or this set than I will ever spend on sorting. So I wonder if our, if, the, if these algorithms and things if it's time to to kind of change this review process or is you know, why are we studying this stuff if you want to get a job at google if you're never going to use it in real life and anyway what are your thoughts i think the reason why they do that is because there's so many people who want to work at google um that google has the luxury of being of, of being able to be picky um, because I think that a lot of folks who go into computer science really want to work at your Microsoft's, your Google's and your Apple's personally, I've taken a career path that makes that the least appealing thing that I would ever want to do. <laughs> um, and I think because of that, these companies can, you know, because there are so many people who want to work with for, I think, I think they call them the big, the big four. Oh, and Fang. that would be yeah, Facebook, that? Apple. It's called Fang, F-A-N-G. 
Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Interesting. And Microsoft's or not even add, on the list. You could add Microsoft and Oracle to that too. Fangmo. And then you could Fangmo. You could keep adding um, others to it. So you have these these big companies, um, and everybody wants to work for them, move to you know, Silicon Valley, you know, the the West Coast, start doing that. And they can they can ask you these crazy theoretical questions. You know, I, I think one of them were like how many golf balls can you or how many ping pong balls can you fit inside of a school bus? And they want to just see your thought process for how you would, you know, come about your number. Um, they can ask questions like that. They can, they can drill you on these algorithmic problems and, and from there decide who, you know, fits the bill. You know, um, I, I think that's the motivation personally. Um, I, I don't think knowing those things necessarily makes you a better programmer because in all honesty, like I think I have a, like a level two on hacker rank, like algorithms were never what interested me about programming. Like, I, I mean, I, the, the puzzle part of that, because most of those things, they are already covered for me. They're in, inside like the, the language just standard libraries. For me, it was more of, I have an app idea and I want to build this app. How would I go about doing that? And the the algorithmic problems were already taken care of me by the people who uh, taken care for me by those who who wrote the programming language um and and for me it's more like how do i how do i solve this problem in a very beautiful fashion and make it work really well for the users so that's just my two cents i guess an analogy would be if i want to become a race car driver i shouldn't well yeah if i want to become a, a race car driver and i go to interview and they start asking me questions about the alloys in the engine and why you know, why do they want the specific alloy instead of another one when they're building this right. component instead of how you drive. And a lot of people out there want to go and, and become a race car driver or want to drive. And they don't have any idea how that alloy and those things work. But if they did, they might have, they might be a better driver. Um, and yeah, you're right. Google, they just get to choose the, the cream of the crop. They get to, mm -hmm. to choose and, and get really picky. It's just interesting right. that I'm I'm looking online. I'm seeing people who are just focusing on that and they're not focusing on the soft skills. They're not focusing on, you know, interacting with other people and problem solving and UX. And they're just focusing on sorting algorithms. Right, <laughs> right. Fascinating. And also, like, not even focusing on building something that solves a problem. Like, not that these algorithms don't solve a problem, but they've already been solved for the most part. Like, we still need those people who understand, like, what kind of alloys and metals are used to create the vehicle. But the vehicle, in the most part, has been created. So it's now, like, what can we then do with it? Have you ever wondered what would happen if, like, you see these post-apocalyptic shows and, and things where, like, we lose electricity or we lose computers and we go back to like uh, riding horses and stuff. Yes. And, or, or so, you know, some catastrophic event happens. There's, you know, there's a couple guys that know how to build batteries and can do stuff, but you, you it just, just fascinating how most people don't like some yeah. people know how to build that, but most people don't. And I think that, I, I mean, I think that we would be kind of in trouble there for a little while. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think that 
we've been we've been thinking about this. Um, have you have you seen the um, GitHub's Arctic Archive program that they did oh, uh, yeah. earlier this year? Listen, yeah. Git, yeah. So Microsoft bought GitHub. Yes. So Microsoft now has access to a lot of public code, and I think they've promised that they're going to store all of the public code um, on these like these like ten thousand years. I don't know some crazy long lifespan. Um, I don't don't know if they're discs or, or metal. Uh, metal. They, they have a few different um, mediums that they're storing it on. And they're going to store it in this underground vault, the seed vault. Oh. Um, so we're going to have this code forever. So all those bugs, we're going to keep them forever. All of them. Yeah. It's funny. I'm looking at the list of the things. They have uh, .NET, .NET Core. Um, Rails is the like the second of the top projects archived in there. Um uh, Ruby, PHP, Linux, uh, Alamo Fire, interestingly enough. Awesome. Alamo um, Fire is a small plugin for Swift. So we were mentioning earlier that, you know, Vapor didn't have all of these. Well, Alamo Fire is one of them. We're keeping it. Yep. Um, and uh, MS DOS. Nice. Because MS DOS is open source now. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You can go to uh, github.com slash Microsoft slash MS-DOS and uh, view, view all that sweet, sweet assembly code for yourself. <laughs> all right, man. I got uh, one last little topic. One little topic. And then all right. we should wrap this thing up. Let's do it. Okay. The, uh, the 10-year anniversary of the iPad just happened. Mm. It was uh, a couple weeks ago. And I have been listening to podcasts. And everybody's like giving their thoughts and I'm hearing a lot of negativity about this, you know, about the iPad and where they want it to be and where it is right now. And I started really thinking about it and I think it's okay. I think where it's at right now is okay. I, yeah. I think the original vision for the iPad was a, a very cheap computer that did away with all the stuff that makes a regular computer difficult. And so the other day I was in Hobby Lobby and I'm, I'm walking from one aisle to the other and, uh, and I look at my phone and I need to do something. I need to hit a button and on my phone, the button was huge and I could just touch it. It's no problem. But I started thinking, what if I tried to do that on my laptop while I was walking from one aisle to the other in Hobby Lobby, mm -hmm. I would have to pull the laptop out of my backpack, hold it in one, try to balance it in one hand flip the lid open, try to connect to Wi-Fi, try to go to the website, try to find the thing, try to click the button, and then look up, make sure I'm not hitting anybody else. So form factors are really important. And the phone did, in this scenario, does something, the computer, it's, the computer could definitely do it, but it's so much easier on the phone. Yeah. And, but because they're so radically different, we seem to, to be okay with that. We seem to, you know, you can make a phone call with your computer, but it's tedious. It's much easier to use your phone. You can listen to music on your computer, but the phone's much better to listen to music with. And the iPad's kind of in the middle, but it's really fun to use. Every time I use the iPad or I look at them, they're just fun, but they yeah. don't do the computery things that I want to do. Another analogy. So I'm driving um, to Ikea and I see a, uh, an SUV next to me and then I see a pickup truck and I see the SUV and I, and I, you know, I'm imagining they could put that desk in the SUV um, they might have to like put seats down and try to shove it in there, but they can probably get it in there. They can, it's not going to be efficient, but they'll get it in there. 
Yeah. And then the rest of their life, you know, they they can drive it around. It doesn't take up as much room. SUV is a bad term. It, let's say it was a hatchback, something smaller. And then on my left, you know, there was a pickup truck. The pickup truck could have carried that desk no problem. Just drop it right in there. Easy. Yep. But whenever you try to get groceries, now you get a double bag because if you put the groceries in the back, they might come undone. You know, there's all these other things, these negatives that you have. And the laptop, when I'm walking in Hobby Lobby, is more like that pickup truck. Yes. When I'm, when I'm somewhere that I need to do something heavier, no problem. But most of the time, I'm just driving around. The hatchback, it's, it's a little bit more fun. Um, it, it holds, you know, the things that I normally need to hold easier. It's like that giant button on the phone that I'm trying to hit. So I've been, you know, I'm, I'm hearing all this negativity about the iPad and, you know, I started, started, you know, we talked about appreciation last time. I started really thinking about it. Like it's pretty cool. Like it's it, really it, cool. It doesn't have to, or, or, you know, it, it can carry that desk in the back of it. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do that all the time. And it might be painful when you try to do that, but you can still do it. But for most of the, the things you do, it's easier. Most definitely. I think that the reason why the iPad gets a lot of hate is, um, I also mentioned in the last episode, this, this book that I'm reading, Insanely Simple by, uh, by, by Ken Siegel, is he referenced the, the, the way Steve Jobs impacted the computing industry and how he changed the the face of computing with the Mac. And then he changed the face of music with the iPod, changed the face of phones with the iPhone. And then he made this interesting statement. He said, and now he changed it again. Oh, he changed the, the face of computing again with the iPad, which I found to be a very interesting statement. This book was also written in 2011. Oh, right after and, the iPad came out. <laughs> right after nice. the iPad came out, where we had these expectations that we put on this tablet device that it was going to take over the Mac. You know, right. even though Steve Jobs made it pretty clear that this is a car, not a truck, um, we still had these expectations that we put on this little device to eventually replace these, you know, trucks that we have on our desk. Um, and you know, it, it still has not done that. And I think that's why people give the iPad a lot of hate because it's, it's the, um, it's the middle child of, of computing devices. It's kind of, it, it's, it's in a little bit of an awkward phase right now where it's, it's not the big boy, but it's also not the phone that you keep in your pocket. It's somewhere in between. And it's, I think that's, probably why it's having you know it's receiving a lot of hate and why it's getting a lot of you know uh you know it's, it's just having a hard time right now but at the same time that doesn't mean that it's not an excellent product like the ipad is still amazing when you think about it and they're joy to use yeah. um I, I think that it's just having a hard time finding the groove like that that sweet spot where it's like it does something very very well that neither the mac or the iphone can't do it's so fun to use that you want to use it to do everything. Yes. And when you are, when you're trying to stuff that desk in there and you find that pain point for something that's really not built to be doing, but you force it anyway, you get this weird taste in your mouth. Like, like, and then you blame Apple. You're like, Apple should have built a better, you know, they should have put a truck bed on this thing. 
And they're like, okay, well, what if we take the hatchback and then we add a truck bed to it? Or maybe we'll use a dongle and we'll have a trailer that you can attach to it. And then you're, and then we'll love that. That's exactly what we want. Well, we've seen other companies do this. I, I returned to Surface several episodes ago, um, a Microsoft Surface tablet, because that, that can do both. It, in this scenario, it's a hatchback with a trailer on it, and it could do both. And it was slow and was, yeah, like blocking up the carpool lane, and, and it's just like the, it was going, it was just, too, it was rough. Yes. So you, we've, we've seen, other devices right now that do both of these things at once. Like if you use a surface tablet and you try to, to touch with your finger items on the screen that are, that are small that are not built for touch. So in the control panel or small menus, it's, it's painful. Again, it's like stuffing that desk in a hatchback, or it's like using your laptop, walking through Hobby Lobby, trying to go to a website, not run into something. Yes. These things are painful. But the iPad has the, I don't know, is discipline the right word? Is the restraint. It has the restraint to not try to do both. Right. And, but, man, it does hurt me because it is so fun to use. I want to be able to use it for other stuff too. But yeah, I'm hearing all this negativity and stuff on the podcasts and, and news articles and stuff. And, you know, it, it, I guess, and they blame the fact that the iPad's been out 10 years, so. Apple should have figured it out by now. It's, it, in 10 years, the Macintosh completely changed industries. And in 10 years, the phone completely changed how we use our phone. Like yeah. 10 years ago, you'd have a razor and you'd slap it closed and you were paying per text message and you never used, or you, maybe you didn't use text messages very much and you didn't have data or very little data. Websites were terrible. And you didn't use it as a music player. You couldn't um, do your banking on it. You couldn't pay for things with it. You couldn't watch movies with it. You couldn't read books with it. You couldn't do all of these amazing things that our phone could do now. Why hasn't the iPad changed everything like that too? I mean, I think one of the reasons why is because when the Mac came out, computers really were not new at that time. Apple just built a computer and they did it right. They did it the right way. They did it in a way that made sense. It was simple. It was elegant. It was a really nice piece of hardware. It had really nice software on it. But, I mean, before then, there was the Apple II. Um, and, I mean, IBM was making computers at the time. And people were people were using them. It was just Apple who came around and, you know, did it really well. Same thing with cell phones. You know, we had Nokia phones. We had... Um, you know, razors. We had a bunch of these, you know, little flip phones. We had I, Microsoft had started getting involved with like pocket PC style phones. Um, we had BlackBerry. Yeah, we had BlackBerry. You know, Black. so smartphones and and phone like portable phones in general were not a new thing. Apple just comes around with the iPhone, and they do it right. And so then Apple comes out with this tablet device. And yes, Microsoft had made you know, a Windows XP tablet, but tablets weren't really being used at by the time the iPad came out. They It wasn't a vertical that people were investing a lot of money in that, you know, was already out and people were actively using it in pretty much any scenario except for hospitals. You know I, know, I know some hospitals and doctor's offices would use tablets and it was very, very niche. Like not a lot of people were doing it. And so it didn't really solve a pain point for anyone. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't caught on. What is the difference between the iPad and the phone other than screen size? I think it's just screen size. I think it is. So I keep coming back to this vision of these AR glasses. You put these glasses on and then everything is an interface around you. So if I had my phone in my pocket, but I wear the glasses and the glasses are accessory for the phone and I draw a 100 inch screen on the wall and then I can do all of the dense stuff that I want to do on my Mac that I want to do on the iPad, but I have trouble because of input methods and stuff. I could be able to, I could do that now using the phone as the engine, using the glasses as the accessory to see the bigger screen when I need it. But yet most of the time I can use tiny little overlays on the glasses and you know, the clock widget and the bank widget, all these things are tiny and in my field of vision, but they're small. But the times that I want to really dig down and, and do some deep coding, I draw out a hundred inch screen. I get my Bluetooth keyboard and mouse out. I just go use my stuff. My phone is in my pocket the whole time, powering this whole world. Yeah. That that's that's our future right there. That that's our in, in the next ten years, I want to see that happen. Yeah. The the iPad, I think I don't think it's necessary now. If if you have that glasses vision I just described. Yeah. Pretty much. Screen size is gonna become irrelevant. We're just gonna have a device that can go to any screen size. So if, uh, to roll this back to go full circle, <laughs> if Apple makes the glasses and I'm doing swift and <laughs> I'm already going full Apple stack, I'm going to have an advantage. So I've marketed myself correctly. That is true. There you go, man. There we go. <laughs> Let's do our picks of the week. Awesome. My pick of the week is hacking with swift. So Paul Hudson creates an insane amount of tutorials on how to program the eye, you know, everything for the phone. He's really fast. He's very thorough. He has a journalism background. He's just awesome video content, text content. He's written books. A lot of his content is free. Like I've read like thousands of articles. And when you search for something, you probably, you're probably going to find one of his articles because he has articles about everything, every tiny little thing you need to do. Um, I wanted to, to learn this vapor stuff, the server side Swift. And I ended up watching and, and reading some of his articles and I spent about two hours researching it with him or with his materials. And then I was able to spend the next six hours, you know, prototyping some stuff and getting something to actually function. And it was so, it was so, uh, it brought me so much joy. It was so fun. It was just, it was just a whole joy. So um, my pick of the week is hackingwithswift.com and just check it out. Look at those articles. Just if you're interested in, in programming for iOS or, or making an iPhone app, this can get you started. This this is the college curriculum. I believe it's a college curriculum for you know iOS apps. That's awesome. Uh, I found that they have a Swift UI by example um, course that I'm going to have to go through because I haven't written any Swift UI yet. And uh have some some ideas for an app and I now's the time to do it because I don't have to target anything below iOS 13. I can just do iOS 13 and use Swift UI and start pl playing around with it now. So, nice. Um so my pick of the week is RoboKiller. 
hmm, that sounds dangerous. Is yeah. That a, is that a robot? Is that a murderer? What is this? <laughs> so RoboKiller is an app that you install on your, your phone, and it helps block robot calls. So Interesting. All of the, you know, I've been getting a lot of them recently for some reason. I finally ended up buying a subscription. It's $29 for a year. Um, and there are actually like some some hooks in the phone app that Apple gives us to be able to let other apps screen calls that come in before it displays it to the, to like the user. Um, and so that's basically what RoboKiller does. And they have like a, like a index of 1.2 million bogus numbers that they know of. And so <laughs> I get all these calls for, you know, my social security has been revoked and all this just terrible scams and RoboKiller just sits between me and potential calls make sure that like it's from uh, like a number that is not blacklisted and then it'll let it go through um and if it is you know a blacklisted call it'll actually pick up in the background and you can give it a fake basically it's an audio file so that the person on the other end thinks that someone picked up nice nice and will it'll mess with them you know it'll be like some some dude and he's got like a kid on each each hip and he's like trying to cook dinner at the same time and he's like trying to have a discussion with them just to like mess with them so it's not a real person though this is like pre-recorded calls yeah oh yeah it's pre-recorded you know fake call you know so that someone thinks that and so there's all sorts of really funny like fake fake calls that you can use um so it's it's a great it's a great little app. I highly recommend it. It's definitely worth the twenty nine dollars, especially if you're like me and just absolutely sick of you know robocalls. Yeah, you need to be careful because your social security number could be revoked, and you're going to be in be in some you're trouble. Gonna be, you're going to be be in deep stuff if that's the case. I I got into this kick on. I was watching these YouTube videos of people who would. Um, record themselves like talking to these scammers and just like getting this just oh it's what they're saying is so bad and so wrong yeah. and so many people fall for it it just hurts me yeah it's ridiculous oh man okay what time is it i don't know i don't know i don't know i still haven't know? found that watch yet <laughs> <laughs> and podcasting still hard man awesome okay good night man good night